Hi, I'm Renee Philpott, and this is Selling with Charm. After over 26 years in sales, there's one thing I have learned. Sales is fun. Join me as I help you simplify your sales process, and together we will reach your weekly, monthly, and yearly goals. Let's get started. So happy to have you on my podcast. I'm always happy anytime we get to talk. I would love for you to introduce yourself and um, just tell us about who you are, and um, we are so happy to hear what you have to share with us today. Well, thank you. I am Sylvia Woods. I am retired from teaching uh, for 43 years. I taught at two high schools, uh, one for 16 and the last 27 at Oak Ridge High School here in Oak Ridge. Since then, I since I retired in 2014, I have mostly uh, been writing and uh, teaching classes at the local extended learning uh, school. And uh, teaching is such a rush that I usually teach two or three classes a year. This fall, I'll be teaching a short story class uh, with the works of George Singleton. Oh, that's great. Okay, so one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on my podcast, and the first thing I want you to tell us about, is I want you to share with us how you have used sales in teaching. So uh, all of the listeners know that I think all of us sell every day, no matter what we're doing. We are, that's how we get uh, a life that we want, and we help other people to live the best life that we can help them with. So share with me how you have used sales in teaching in a couple of ways, or if you have a short story to share, just however you're comfortable. Well, first of all, in any business of selling, you need to know your product. But, uh, and that product for me was literature and writing. But all of that, was useless if I didn't know the needs of my students. So I would um, get ready for school each fall, but I could never really be ready until, as I said, I saw the whites of their eyes. And there is a chemistry in every class that you have to learn to appreciate. And so I would get to know each student through their writing and through interaction with them. And I would make a goal for each student. For example, I had one kid who was very, very bright in an advanced placement class, but he didn't have a lot of self-confidence. So I figured out ways to sell him on self-confidence. I would let him take on a task, encourage him, and then show him his success. And I would make sure that he realized he was successful. Um, For another kid, it might be to stop interrupting me 15 times at class. And I had one kid, his name was Will. I'll never forget him. He was in sophomore basic English and he was a pain. Uh, 
if you've ever been in a class where you have a kid who just hops up and says something inappropriately all the time. And what I had to do with him was to sell him on the idea that I liked him. So one day I took him out into the hall and he was sure he was going to be reamed out. But I said, you know, Will, you, I don't want you to tell the others this, but you are my favorite student. And I had to sell myself on it first. And so he became my favorite student. I gave him opportunities to be successful because if he was successful, then other kids in the class would get a chance to be successful as well. So I, um, the thing about teaching is it's a mind game. You have to know your kids and you have to know your subject, but when you are having a bad day or you just got a nasty email, I know that people in sales never get those, but teachers do. And um, it usually involves something uh, irrelevant or that isn't that important. But when you go into the classroom, you need to put everything else out of your mind. And I can compartmentalize. I would... um, I could go into the classroom and have a bad headache. I could be worrying about a family member who was sick. But when I stepped over that threshold, I was present and, uh, or I tried my best to be. And I learned over the years that if they know you're present, they're going to focus too. Um, And Part of that is really simple body language. Um, Eye contact, your arms open. um, And when I had to have a parent conference as a result of some emails that happened pretty often, I learned to um, have my arms wide, my hands open and up. And the first thing I did was to ask, I had a little form that I developed, what are are the parent's concerns? What are the child's concerns or students? And then last, I would talk. But um, to me, that was another selling situation where I made my customer, my parents and students feel in charge. They weren't, and some of my parents had not been successful in school. They had not um, felt that school was on their side. So they would, in the words of some people, go down on that teacher to confront her And when they uh, met me, um, I had to convince them that what I wanted was best 
was what was best for their child. And uh, sometimes, very often, things were less tense at the end of the meeting than at the beginning of the meeting. And I will never forget something a parent said in a meeting. Um, the boy, his name was Anthony, and he's been out of school 30 years, um, but he just wasn't doing his homework. And he had convinced his mother it was because I didn't like him. That's a good one to tell your mom. If the teacher doesn't like you, then how can you do your homework? But the mom said after we had met and we had talked about things, she said, Anthony, you can't get around it. You got to go through it. And that's probably one of the most wise things I ever heard. There are things you have to go through. You can't go around. So um, that, that selling to parents that you are on their side is one of the hardest things ever because I had no control. Um, I was often um, surrounded by um, counselors and assistant principals or principals, and they were, all of us were there in the best interest of the kid, but um, the principal and the guidance counselors weren't necessarily my backups. They were there to document. So it was me and I had to um, let the parents know that I cared. And um, that was a hard sell. <laughs> and you can't sell it by being forceful. Yeah, well, yes. that, that's great. Uh, now yeah. share a little bit more. Now you said, you were starting to say, you can't, um, you couldn't sell it by being forceful. Right. Yeah. So we, we often feel like we have to be the strongest voice um, when we're selling. Well, I will tell you something I learned a long time ago. I needed to be in charge of the meeting, but it didn't need to be with a sledgehammer. So when I had my little form, the person who talks first is in charge of the meeting. Mm -hmm. So I would say, okay, we're here because of Johnny's uh, issues and I want um, Mrs. Smith to speak first. Well, she was speaking first and she was able to say what she wanted to say, but I had given her permission. So I had sort of structured the meeting and I never interrupted to say my side. I let them be, um, be free to say what they wanted to say without my being overbearing. Um, and, but at the same time, I was guiding the meeting the way I wanted it to go. And um, most of the time, not always, 
things worked out. Um, the other thing that I think is so, so important in teaching and in any business is that you get training constantly and retraining because what may have, we had lots of staff development and, um, but we were also encouraged to seek out our own staff, our own development. And as I said, the one about body language was some workshop I had gone to, uh, had studied so that, and that made a lot of sense to me. You say more with your body than you realize. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I constantly went to workshops and the important thing about going to workshops to keep your skills sharp is that you have a community just as you have with your podcasts and your other uh, organization. You need community because once you get to the classroom, it's just you. And, but with that sense of community, you, you keep your skills sharp. And one other way that I needed to keep my skills sharp is in 1971, 72, when I started teaching, it was a big deal to use a film strip projector or a movie projector. And I think kids had a longer attention span than they do now. And something else I learned is that, unlike right now when I'm talking a whole lot, um, you can't talk for 20 minutes and expect kids to listen. Uh, and I would imagine if I was in an office selling a product, I would want there to be an exchange of energy. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes, that's good. So that you ask questions and you listen and then you provide more discussion or information or but uh, that exchange of energy is as important in teaching as um the information yeah. i had to impart well that's great um i would i usually call that there's some back and forth you, um, uh -huh. you get some feedback. It's very hard to sell without getting some feedback. So if you uh, walk in with your product and you're just doing all the talking and you're showing, uh, it's nothing. You're just telling, and you're not getting any information. So an exchange of energy is a great way to put that. Um, so well, you said so much that um, I I just love the part where you said the person who talks first is in charge. Uh, a lot of times we're timid when it comes to sales and we think they're going to speak to us first and then we'll have an opportunity. But if we can quietly stay in control 
and guide the conversations and um, we can usually get the information we need and in return be able to give our prospects the information that they are looking for. If we uh, are not in control, a lot of times we hear the parts that won't help us to serve them. And um, if we are too overbearing with that, they won't want to hear us anymore. So they don't give us the time that we need to explain or talk to them. So I love that. Um, I also love the point about um, continuing to learn because that does make you better and it helps you to serve others better. The, you know, there's always something else to learn and always to a way to improve upon what you're doing and how you're serving others. Um, but the um, chemistry in the classroom, you mentioned that every classroom has different chemistry. Yes. And that is the same way it is when we have uh, a selling opportunity. No two opportunities are the same because exactly. everybody's different. Yes. And I apologize if I was talking too loud. I got my teacher voice on. <laughs> I'm so used to standing in front of a group uh, when I'm talking about teaching. But I think that the other thing is, say you're meeting with four people in an office situation. One of them is the leader. One of them is the decision maker or the person who prods or the, the leader sort of has control of and it may not be they may not be the same people in a classroom um teaching high school is not just about knowing the material knowing how to present it it's about managing people so that uh if you're not in the frame of mind to learn and um, and kids have to sit still for an hour. Um, I tried to break up things so there was a change of activity every 15 minutes. But even then, uh, at the beginning of the year, I often had to figure out who was the leader. Um, who is it who set the tone? Or the classroom and um, that took a few days because that leader could be one who was focused and wanted everybody else to be focused or it could be like Will who uh, wanted to disrupt because he enjoyed being the leader of a sort so you learn through time that who is it who you need to engage, uh, whose eyes you can read. And that's something I learned and never perfectly. Uh, no matter how many years you do it, you can't be perfect. No, that, that's a great point. You know, you, um, in, in sales, I always, yeah, I, the, the people who are in my community as I coach them, when we're selling, sometimes there's a decision maker, like you're saying, and other times there's an influencer who yes. 
really they don't they don't sign the contracts but it the decision is theirs to make a lot of times and you need them on your side just this past week we had a lesson on cold calling and a lot of times a gatekeeper at an office is the person we have to get by and or in a home it doesn't matter um but if you have to get by that person uh you have to and it's kind of like you with the parent and the student the student is, is the one who is going to get all the benefits, um, but that parent is definitely an influencer, um, and you have to keep that in mind. And and yes. so you need them on your side, and that is the way it is with influencers in other areas of sales. We we need them on our side, so they have to know we are listening to them, um, and we are that you know reading their eyes is so important, and it mm-hmm. is something that I have missed. Um, during these this past year you know zoom is wonderful but it does not take the place of that human interaction and getting to hear their thoughts see their thoughts and all of that so um, thank you for sharing that Um, and one more thing about that when you say the gatekeeper in schools it's the first person you see when you go in Mm -hmm. and I learned long ago that the secretaries and the custodians are more important in many ways than the principal. Oh, yes. So, yeah. yeah they keep the place running. Keep the place um, and safe. Uh, yes. You know, so we have to remember that. So that that's great. Um, now, thank you for sharing that. Recently, you have um, published a collection of your poetry, and I would love for you to share a little bit about that. Well, uh, my book, What We Take With Us, uh, came out April 20th, and it's something I wasn't sure would ever happen. Uh, I've been writing poetry for at least 20 years. Um, Well, actually, since one poem in the collection was 1986, I've been published in many literary journals across the country, but I didn't have my own collection. And I would send in collections and they would get rejected. And one thing I learned about rejection is rejection is just something you need to take and not be uh, personally hurt by it. I um, So I kept on and kept on and then Eastover Press came along and um, they accepted my collection and um, it's a it's a um, compilation of different kinds of poems from growing up in eastern Kentucky to uh, teaching and being a mother and grandmother so I would say if you really want a book, you just have to keep getting rejected. Um, And eventually, if you get enough rejections, a rejection sometimes has nothing to do with you. It has to do with in what the press is looking for. but sometimes it means that you, if you get enough rejections on one poem, it probably tells you that you need to tweak that poem. Um, 
And so um, the more um, you almost have to seek rejection. And I've told you about my friends who are in, in a writer's group. We had a thing called the Bulldog Award, which went to the person with the most rejections um, because we didn't give up. And we sought, actively sought um, 50 rejections a year for poetry. And um, there's so many poetry magazines out there today and literary journals that, uh, and each, each time you send in a poem, you have to send three to five. They don't wanna see one poem um, because they wanna see that you can do more than one poem. So rejection becomes, um, Oh, hum, I'll send it out again. Oh, that's great. So I love, I love the story about the Bulldog Award because so often we think the only reward is getting published in this case, for yes. example. Yes. And there's so much more to it. So I, I really, I think it is just amazing that you uh, were able to stick with writing and you didn't give up. I mean, you could have just kept writing for your own sake. Uh, but it would have kept so many of us from getting to enjoy that. And so it was a gift to others that you were able to be, to continue to have that attitude of, I'm just going to try it again, and I'm going to be persistent. So, you know, it's, we feel like sometimes in sales that we can, we are not going to, the yeses are just for us. And we are just too tired of getting the nose and we're going to stop. Yes. But if we do that, we really keep our prospects and our clients and customers from having all that they could have. Um, because what we do is valuable, just like in your case with your poetry, that that is for now that is, I mean, it's been a blessing to me. It's been a blessing I know to others. And it's because you were willing to put yourself out there and hear the nose. You know, we miss out so many times because we're afraid of the nose, because we are tired and exhausted, and one more no is just too much. And sometimes you just have to go home and uh, get a cup of coffee, take a nap, and try it again the next day. I mean, it's, it, you know, there are some days it's just too much, but you can't have that attitude every day. You've got to continue. And I just admire so much that you were able to continue writing and, you know, and putting yourself out there and risking getting a no, um, but really in the end, getting a yes and being able to bless so many others through what you've done. Well, I think it's a numbers game. In, um, I went to a writing workshop once about 25 years ago and a writer said if you send out 100 uh, offerings uh, 10 of them are going to get probably going to get accepted or get a nod but you can be sure that one will well a hundred seems like a whole lot but um, not really. Um, and I would think 
that in your business, if you called on a hundred people, you would sell at least 10. And that's a whole lot more than if you called on 10 people and sold none. Um, you cannot be, uh, you cannot give up and say, I sent this to the Appalachian Review and they said, uh, this is not right for us. Okay, then it's a terrible poem. Well, it may not be right for them in that issue, but you have to keep on and find the place it is right for. And once you realize that the two factors, one is it's a numbers game and finding the right one. And the second one is does something, does this approach need to be changed? Does this poem need to be edited again? And I've edited poems 36 times or more um, because to get to perfection or till I can't look at it anymore, I have to make sure. And I'm sure that you edit your sales approach. Oh, yes, it is. Um, you know, every client is different and you can get a new product or service and it can be the right product or service, but you don't know it yet. So you're going out and you're introducing it and you're not really, uh, you're not getting any interest. Sometimes it's about coming back and, and taking another look. Okay, this is how I see it, but how is my client going to see it? And a lot of times that's different and we have to readjust uh, where you may edit. We have to readjust our, yeah. um, our approach. And I, I think that's a great point. You have to be willing to hear the feedback that you're getting yes. with not just like you're saying, when they sent you those uh, rejection uh, rejections, however they came, I'm assuming in letters, if they're saying this is not right for us, they're not saying this is a bad point. Mm -hmm. They're not saying this is not right for us ever. They're saying it's not right for us today. It's not right today. in this issue. Yes. And I, I think th that goes back to something I say a lot of times. It's not a no, it's a not right now. Exactly. And we have to remember there's a big difference in no and not right now. Mm -hmm. And we are going for um, the, the when, if not right now, when, and we have to figure that out to be successful mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of stay on top of that and continue through that. So um, those, you have made some wonderful points, um, both with teaching and with writing. We do sales in everything we do. Yes. And if we give up, you know, think about uh, if you had given up and decided after a few rejection letters and you did, you know, those rejection letters are saying this is not right for us, but you're hearing this. This is not good. Um, if you had said, OK, I'm done. I'm not going to try to improve. I'm not going to edit. I'm not going to um, do anything. I mean, you would be a lot less happy now. Would you agree? Yes, I agree. And, you know, it. I know exactly when I stopped letting rejection bother me, and it's when we started the Bulldog Award. Uh, I used to send out a poem and then look every day to see if I had uh, an acceptance. 
I send out a group of poems now and forget it. And sometimes it takes, you know, months to get a response. But uh, sometimes I've sent the same set of poems out to five or six places and I hear from the first one and then I have to withdraw them from the other. And that's a good feeling, but I can't, I can't sit and worry about the ones I've sent out. That's done. I have to get others ready to send out. Oh, that's great. So you really, that Bulldog Award really made a difference for you. You had to change the way you were thinking. Yes. And we had a little um, ceramic bulldog we pass around uh, once a year. And um, it, it was fun. And there was absolutely no pressure. But I'm a competitive type. And... I like, it's like a game and I like winning. Um, And what happened was that my two other people in the group went back to graduate school to get an MFA and they were doing so much writing for that. We just sort of stopped the Bulldog Award, but I did win it a couple of times and that mindset has stayed with me. And now once a week, one of the members of the group and I meet on Wednesdays and we share what we've written and we encourage each other. And that's really important to have somebody say, don't quit. Yes, that that's wonderful. Um, I love that you mentioned you changed your mindset because that's really all anything is is how we think about it. Mm-hmm. If you have a uh, if you're going to have a good day, you've got to know you're going to have a good day without intentionally deciding you're going to have a good day. It's going to be very difficult to have a good day. Yes, I, um, I used to spend the five minutes it took me to drive to work getting my mindset right, saying a prayer. Uh, And if I had a particularly difficult student, I would pray for that student. Um, And that, again, was a mind change in my head. If I could wish that person well, even though they were difficult, I could change my attitude. And after all, my attitude is the only one I can change. Yes, that's so great. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is important. Mindset is so important. Well, you have shared so much today. Is there anything else you would like to make sure you have the opportunity to say? I would say that if we approach everybody Uh, Whatever it is that we're doing with a sense of joy, it makes it more fun. And when I teach uh, senior citizens now in the Oracle or the extended learning class, I don't have to worry about behavior issues. But what I have to worry about is, um, is what I'm saying connecting with them and 
in that case, I let them do as much of the talking because what they need is the social work. So it's the joy that makes any job fun. Ah, I love that. So you know the name of this podcast is Selling with Charm. And it, the reason oh. I chose that name is because I don't think charm means magic. I think it means your approach. You yes. can be angry and demanding or you can decide to say, I want to be uh, I want to be joyful and I want to spread joy mm-hmm. and I want to be kind. You know, and all yes. in all, charm to me means kindness. Yes. And that's how I have always approached sales. It, you know, they may not always approach me that way, but I am responsible for how I take whatever they tell me. Yes. And that that to me, charm is a form of that, is how, how I present myself should be charming rather than demanding or aggressive and that that goes back to um bringing joy so yes yes well i appreciate you so much and it is wonderful starting my day with you it's wonderful starting my day with you have a great week you too Bye. bye